0: while since anyone popped in here but if you are looking for something new to listen to i'm imogen
1: and i'm emil and together we host stuff's daily news podcast newsable
0: each day we take a look at what's happening in
1: the world and we bring you what's worth talking about
0: if you haven't followed us yet then search for newsable in your favorite podcast player
1: and in the meantime our wee gift to you Because we know you love all things politics, here's an interview we recently did with the Green Party co-leader, Marama Davidson, and the ACT Party leader, David Seymour. We wanted to dig into why these minor parties are probably going to be the kingmakers this election.
0: If you like what you're hearing, make sure you find and follow Newsable.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
0: We've said this a number of times already on the pod, but in case you missed it, It is election year, which means we will all be bombarded by politicians making their case for your vote.
1: But, of course, our electoral system is not so simple as one vote. We all get two. One for your local MP and the other for a party, and uh, both of them help to decide the final make-up of Parliament. It's also those party votes, though, which will decide how much power the so-called minor parties have. The three currently in Parliament are ACT, the Greens, and Te Pāti Māori.
0: The bigger two of those, ACT and the Greens, are polling between 20 and 25% support combined. That's a lot. So are they even minor parties anymore? With us now are Greens co-leader Marima Davidson and ACT leader David Seymour. Kia ora kōrua. Kia ora. Tuna koutou. Uh, so we got you here to talk about the power of the minor party in this year's election. But do you actually see yourselves as minor parties? Marama, we'll start with you.
2: No, because it is clear from all of the polling that no party can govern on their own. They are going to have to require the support of one of the smaller parties. And so it is very clear that uh, the Greens uh, certainly are going to have a major role to play. David?
3: Um, Look, that's a political conversation. Certainly the, the conversations I have every day are with people saying can you solve these problems? Can you make New Zealand a better place? I'm thinking about giving up on it, I don't want to. Um, So once you start talking about your relationship with policy and the voter, um, that kind of Wellington Beltway politics becomes less important. Uh, We don't categorise ourselves, we're just here to solve some problems.
0: David, do you see, the ACT Party and I suppose the uh, the Green Party as well as proxies to the major parties? If you're voting Green you're, you're voting for a Labour-led government and if you're voting ACT you're endorsing a National-led government.
3: Um, well I think there's no question people uh, who vote ACT overwhelmingly want to change the government and they understand that w- we can't realistically work with Labour. Uh, no offence Marama but we couldn't work with the Greens and we can't work with Te Māori that's for sure. So so you are voting for ACT for a change of government, but then there are distinctive reasons why you would vote for ACT or National. Uh, people want the change to be real. They're concerned that National, left to its own devices, uh, will just babysit Labor's policies. So you, you know, yes, it's in part because both ACT and National want to change the government, but there are distinct reasons to vote ACT uh, around particular policies as well.
1: So David, I mean, following up on that, do, do you see your role almost as as pushing? National further than it might independently feel comfortable going on certain issues in a way.
3: I don't think that's our role. Our role is to hear the concerns and hopes of New Zealanders, to go away, to put together policies, and then say, look, guys, this is how it could be. What do you think of that? Uh, and more and more, we find that people like our policies and our values. Um, but one sort of secondary effect of that is, as you've seen in the last couple of weeks, that the National Party were in favour of the three-three-storey house townhouse rule now they're opposed to it. Um, the National Party were in favour of taxing farmers' emissions, um, now they're opposed to it. Uh, oh, and genetics, I mean, we announced that one week, they announced it the next. So there is a bit of a, a habit of the National Party moving closer to ex-positions, but I don't think that's because we've done it for them, it's because we've done it for the voters. Who then say we like that, and it, it creates a sort of a, a, I guess, a leadership effect.
1: It's interesting. There's like a marketplace of ideas sort of thing, I suppose. And, uh, our our colleague, Andrea Vance, uh, wrote an interesting piece recently. I'll, I'll quote her from it, actually, though I won't do her Northern Irish accent. Um, oh. Don't even don't even say it, David. The political establishment that's rotated power for decades has finally run out of ideas to make things better. As they squabble over the same tired policies, voters are increasingly turning away from the status quo. I'm interested in your thoughts on that, Madam. Do you think that's right, that the minor parties are the movers and shakers where the new, uh, fresh ideas come from?
2: It's probably about right that more and more people are starting to realise the benefit of an MMP, uh, a mixed proportional way of voting, that we are not other countries where there are sort of two two main players or a two-horse race, if you like. There's a range of views out there on offer to people, um, and I think that's absolutely what we are seeing more and more, probably more so this year, as we've all just come through a global pandemic, ongoing um, weather effects boosted by climate change, and I think people are really wanting to understand who have got the solutions that are going to properly address those big challenges.
0: But do you see yourselves and your parties as being able to come up with those innovative solutions rather than the tired policies, uh, as Andrea calls them, from the two major parties?
2: I am proud that that is exactly what the Greens have been doing for decades now, um, often ahead of the game, uh, have been speaking on taking action for climate change for decades now and somebody has to be a strong voice for climate, for protecting nature and for people living with dignity and that is very much our role and we have always been able to have evidence-based innovative solutions, the size of which to tackle the actual scale of the challenges.
0: And David then, do you do you think that this idea that the minor parties are the movers and shakers and where the fresh ideas are coming from is the reason why ACT is hitting that 11, 12% polling in in recent polls?
3: Well, look, I I know that we've been really relentless in in putting out policy ideas. Um, We've got a complete plan for resource management reform. We put out a fully costed alternative budget, Um, but we've also got the legacy of having been the party of charter schools, um, of having legalised assisted dying to make us a more humane society. So, you know, whichever way you, you want to turn, Um, I think we can point to having put out, you know, usually quite detailed policy papers. I mean, over COVID management, we put out four different papers saying here's a bunch of ideas we should be considering. You know, what puzzles me is that the older parties who have a lot more resources than us, a lot more staff, a lot more MPs, a lot more money, don't tend to do that. Uh, Whereas, you know, I think part of the reason you might join a party like ACT is that you don't just want to sort of be in power one day because you don't see that as particularly glamorous anyhow. Um, being a minister in a government, that, that's not an achievement. That's an opportunity to do good. So I, I suspect the culture of our party, the reason people join is a bit different. And I also suspect that, you know, while we can talk about ourselves, it's important to recognise the circumstances. Right now New Zealanders say our country's going in the wrong direction by a ratio of two to one, even more in some polls. So this is not a time when it's just a question of well things are going well who should manage it it's a question of how do we change some of the the quite serious challenges that New Zealanders are facing right now. At
1: Evernorth Health
3: Services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way
1: of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI—it's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's Wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorthcom wonder Let's talk uh, a little bit about policy um, in a sort of zoomed-out kind of way, because you know it seems certain that at least one of your parties will have serious leverage come coalition negotiations after the election. Presumably, those will happen. And one word that you hear a lot of is non-negotiables. So let's talk about them a bit. madam you, uh, the Greens, have recently announced your party's tax policies. They include a wealth tax, an income tax shake-up, lots of stuff there. Are these non-negotiables, should you be going into coalition talks with Labour after the election this year?
2: Ending poverty for our Aotearoa, making sure people can have what they need to live some decent lives. I wouldn't think that's a lot to ask for, and I know people care about that. That's a top priority. That's a top priority. We know that it's up to the voters to decide what the bottom lines are after election. We're giving voters that choice if people want that, if people want to get that across the line at election it is the Green Party who they will need to vote for to vote for those policies, and that is that in the hands of the But that specific policy,
1: voters. that specific wealth tax policy, yep. because I, I take the point that ending poverty, but that is uh, not especially specific, it's quite subjective. Would you go out on a limb now and say the wealth tax that the Green Party has come up with is a non-negotiable at coalition talks, sh- should they happen?
2: We are being clear with all of our policies, and when I say ending poverty, I'm referring to that exact policy, which includes the wealth tax, the income tax, and importantly, a guaranteed income for everyone. And yes, it's a top priority. We are very clear, if people want that to be non-negotiable after election, they will need to give us the power and the mandate to give us enough influence over the direction of any next government. So that really is, the power is not up to any political party the power is in the hands of the voters to make things non-negotiable and we can choose that.
0: We spoke to a tax expert earlier in the week about wealth taxes and they mentioned Norway seeing an exodus of sorts of its wealthy entrepreneurs because of the wealth taxes there. Will your policy see the same thing? Are we risking risking the same thing should that come to fruition? No, I don't think we are
2: at all. Um, What people care about in Aotearoa, including high-income earners and high wealth, people is an Aotearoa where everyone does have what they need. We know that's important to people. Um, We've seen people voting in favour in the various different surveys that have been done over the past few weeks that people are understanding this can't carry on. We have got what we need to ensure every family can be brought above the poverty line and we know that there is support there for that. We can actually choose this. It's just political will that is the barrier um, to getting that goal.
0: David, are you for or against a wealth tax?
3: Uh, Look, I'm opposed to it. Um, I think you're right to observe what's happened in Norway. And I think you just have to ask yourself, the government puts up taxes on cigarettes to stop people smoking. Well, if you put up tax on having wealth, uh, then people will find ways to avoid paying that tax, just like any other tax. So you tax wealth, you get less of it. It's it's pretty simple stuff, really. I also just point out that, you know, Mara is someone I admire because I think her desire to end poverty is based on life experience and, and completely sincere and heartfelt. But if I thought the government spending another 11 billion would end poverty, uh, I'd be the first to, to sign up for it. That's what the Green Policy does. 11 billion dollars more spending and they say that will end poverty. However, you just have to look at the last five years. The government's increased its spending by 49 billion dollars in the last five years. If 49 billion hasn't ended poverty, uh, why would 11 billion? And the other thing I really don't like about it, and there's a bit of a dark underbelly to the policy, that the subliminal messaging is your problems are caused by someone else's success. Vote for us and we'll take away their money. And that's actually the opposite of the values that New Zealand needs to become a more wealthy and successful place. How would you win poverty then, David? I would look at the causes of poverty, I'd analyse the data. If you look at why the poorest households are under pressure, the thing that really stands out in the data is not that they earn less relative to wealthy households compared to say 40 years ago. What has changed is they spend more of their money on housing than at any other time in history. They've gone from a quarter of their income on housing say 40 years ago to more than half their income on housing now. That's the problem. So until we figure out how to build homes faster, more affordably, and make them more accessible, it doesn't matter if the state owns them, or if you rent them, or if you own them, or if you get a first home buyer grant, Fundamentally, there have to be more houses built faster and cheaper. Um, until we solve that problem, then housing is going to soak up more of people's income and their disposable income left to meet their other needs, food, clothing, education and so on, will be all the lesser. So that's that's the number one thing, and, and ACT has a fairly comprehensive set of policies around resource management laws, uh, infrastructure funding, building consents, building inspections and so on to, to speed up the, the speed of house building uh, and also make them more Affordable.
0: David, we'll turn to some of your policy now. You've proposed a referendum on the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Is that your non negotiable?
3: I think people like to talk about what's non negotiable, but you have to look at how Parliament works. Um, everyone that's been elected to our Parliament in a, what, 170 years or so, since 1852, has gone down there, and the question is have they done the best for the people they represent? So our commitment to people who support Act is that we're putting this issue on the table. Uh, It's um, 50 odd years since the Treaty of Waitangi Act said that there were principles of the treaty. Over that time, the courts, the Waitangi Tribunal, the public service, just about everyone but parliament and the public have been defining what those principles mean and the conception they've come up with a partnership or a Tiriti centric aotearoa uh, with tangata whenua on one side and tangata Tiriti on the other and you almost have to pick a side there's no middle ground here you know what they've come up with is is not consistent with the new zealand you see today the new zealand you see today is a modern multi-ethnic, liberal, democratic state, a place where everyone has the same basic rights and duties, the same common humanity. So we say it's time to have a constructive and respectful debate about how we make sense of the treaty in 2023, but it can't be the interpretation that's grown up over the last 50 years of kind of a two-track country, a partnership between two different types of people. That, that can't work.
0: Do you think this is an issue that people really care about right now given the cost of living crisis? Well, there's
3: no question that the cost of living is the number one thing or at least the thing that is on the most people's minds, uh, along with crime we've also got serious problems with health but I'd put it to you and I should mention education but I put it to you that if we can't get these basic things right about what does it mean to be a citizen do you have the same basic rights to be consulted to sit on certain panels to be treated uh, under the healthcare system then you, you know it's actually really difficult to make progress in a lot of different areas so for example I think getting more homes built, more affordably, more rapidly so that more people can access their homes, probably uh, besides getting kids to school and learning, uh, one of the most important things we need to do. But right now, the whole debate over resource management, who can build what, where and who they need to ask, is being hijacked in part by the need to consult people differently depending on their background. So unfortunately, many of the underlying challenges this country faces uh, comes back to what does the treaty mean? In 2023, and what place does it have uh, for non-Māori, uh, and what relationship do citizens have with the state? Is it the same, or does it vary based on your ancestry? Th- those questions can't be avoided, I'm afraid.
1: Uh, Marama, David said something interesting there um, at the beginning of that answer when he talked about you know the idea of bottom lines, and perhaps people have, who expect parties to lay out bottom lines or non-negotiables um, aren't necessarily appreciating how Parliament works. and I suppose people like bottom lines because they like to know what they are actually voting for. Like, is there anything that you would actually come out, Marama, and say, we will not compromise on this?
2: Well, we say very clearly, any party who wants to work with the Green Party after election will absolutely need to come with strong action on climate and strong action on ending poverty. So we are being straight up uh, with people about what they can vote for. We're also being realistic. Again, I agree with David about about the way that parliament and voting systems work, that it is truly the voter who has that power um, to influence what our bottom lines after election, because there is a bit of a numbers game involved. The more influence that the Green Party has, the more voters have a say over um, when they are voting for our policies, over what can have enough oomph to get over the line. So that's, you know, we're being very clear with voters about that. These are our priorities and these are what we are offering to people. The strongest chance it will have if, is if voters are able to vote for that, those policies. David, did you yeah, want I to have have something?
3: Yeah, I have a question there? for Emil and, and Imogen. Uh, why is it that political journalists who watch Parliament every day, who understand that no one party ever or no one politician ever gets their way all the time and, and actually has to work with others, uh, you know, continue to ask that question because you, you know that it's not realistic. It's almost mischievous to keep asking it.
0: Well, I think Emil made a good point in his question that, you know, you say you want voters know what they're voting for and it, it would perhaps give voters a greater sense of, you know, if you're voting for the ACT Party or the Green Party, you know, they're going into those negotiations post-election with their list of this is what we won't be moved on.
3: But you also know that if the other party says that they won't be moved on the same thing, then you've got... Uh, uh, so you, you know that that's not realistic. OK, well,
1: here's a question. Is there an issue that uh, you feel so strongly about that if you couldn't compromise with the National Party, your potential coalition partners, you would sit on the benches?
3: Oh, there's heaps. I mean, look, we're not going to see... Uh, a government that continues with the current tax structure that continues with the current level of spending that refuses to put a proper debate and definition of the principles of the treaty on the table
1: so these are non-negotiables no
3: no they are negotiables and these are our priorities
1: but if you couldn't come to an understanding then you would sit on the cross benches. so they're non-negotiables no
3: no because Even if we say, well, we're not going to be part of your government and we won't take ministerial posts, and and that's certainly a valid uh, negotiating position to take, uh, ultimately, you've still got to have a parliament of 120 people and you're still going to have votes and you're still going to have to work out which things you'll vote for and which things you won't. Um, knowing that if the house can't come to a resolution we go back and have a snap election and I just don't think that you are you know you must understand all these things but you're not you know asking questions as as though you do so I would say that in the case of some of those issues um what you'd see from Act is we'd say look we're not going to accept ministerial posts um, because we don't want to you know take the baubles and become apologists for bad policy Uh, If we're going to keep taxing and spending the way we are, keep regulating, keep dividing New Zealand with a certain interpretation of the treaty and and so on. Um, On the other hand, uh, you sit out of taking ministerial posts, but you're still going to have to give confidence to the Nats leader to be the Prime Minister. Um, and then week by week, you're going to have to negotiate your votes and do the best you can. But this is, again, the, the thing that I, I think you guys must surely understand because you both watch politics every day, that Parliament needs to actually work out how they do the best for the people that they represent uh, in a reality where no one party has enough votes to get everything they want.
2: I think it's a valid conversation. Um, and we are we are also, as the Greens, mindful We can't dictate an election before election, like we we just simply can't. You know that really, really is up to the voters, and and so that's why I do have a a bit of um, sympathy for where David's coming from. But but you're right. I also agree that we have a responsibility to make that clear to voters. I definitely, honestly, I don't expect voters to understand the system. I'm still coming to terms with it myself. I've noticed. I I do think we have a I do think we have a responsibility to keep talking about how the system works and what is in it for voters, and we're all doing it, and especially as minor parties. And so, for example, I'd like to offer a whole nother perspective on the value and the importance of Te Tiriti, and particularly from my perspective, especially when we are talking about the diverse range of peoples and ethnicities we have here. It is precisely Te Tiriti that gives us a grounding and a foundation of understanding for all people to make Aotearoa their home and their place of belonging. That was envisioned at the signing of Te Tiriti when it talks about our role as tangata whenua to Manaki and take care of everyone, to agree to share this beautiful, beautiful homeland with everyone who arrives on our shores. Uh, that is the meaning of to iwi. Um, people who are not Māori and the landing place of Aotearoa, tau iwi. tau iwi. absolutely are centre in te tiriti because we have a responsibility to Totoko and Manaki everyone's identity. It is also the power of te tiriti, mana motuhake and sovereignty and um, independence is also essential to the big issues that we are facing. If I take David's example of housing, Some of the biggest uh, progression in housing space has been the last five years in Māori housing, where putting over resource and leadership and authority to Māori communities to lead their own housing has made some of the biggest impacts, more homes built for Māori by Māori than ever, ever in the history of government. And that has been precisely through Activity lens, and given that Maori are disproportionately impacted on by housing struggle, then housing for Maori is one of the most important opportunities we can take to end a housing crisis across the board. So that's my lens on activity that I wanted to make sure I got to offer up as well.
1: I think you're complaining a whole bunch of issues. You
0: don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime
3: statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo that got to journalists. Hang
0: into the National Party's no, attack no, line no, there. Right, that but I think, Chris, was, It would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction.
3: Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all.
1: That's, Nothing iffy in there. On. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on.
0: Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought provoking, we got you. Listen to TOVA wherever you get your podcasts. Both of your parties have been accused, whether or not it's simply been on Twitter, like let still accusations, of using culture wars to score political points. Uh, Marima, do you believe that's something that uh, the ACT Party does? Yes,
2: I have often highlighted. Um, What's a specific thing, like thing that we've me, said or done, Marama. David was at Waitangi with all of us when um, the iwi were clear to politicians of all parties to stop using Te tiriti, Three Waters and Māori to race bait. And the people were really clear and they, they threw that right at us, rightfully so. And they were throwing it to all political parties um, to not keep winding up the fear, for example, in co-governance, in Three Waters, in upholding Te tiriti, You don't have to say the words, we are racist towards Māori, but Māori understand the narrative and the stigma that um, David's mind mine is having towards Māori my, people. My mind and what is it having. what drums up and what it... Mara, ma give us what, a specific um, thing David's that actors
3: said policy, or done.
2: so the, the way, way that... no,
3: a specific thing. David,
1: if you could let Māora finish.
2: For example, when David threw out the vaccination codes and said that were for Māori providers and said everyone should rock up because that is against my principles. We shouldn't have things just for Mardi. Well, that wasn't just about interrupting a vital health service. That was also to rummage up some of the lowest common denominator thinking across the country, which is that Māori are getting more than they deserve. When we rummage up that thinking, it absolutely has a negative, harmful and racist impact Not by you, necessarily, David, but by your supporters, and that is proactively done.
1: David, do you feel, on the flip side, I mean, you know, we'll reverse that question and put it to you. Do you feel, because a similar accusation has been thrown at the Green Party, do you feel as though the Greens weaponise culture wars to score political points?
3: Look, I haven't paid a lot of attention to what the Greens are doing, but I think we just saw an, an excellent example of this attempt to persecute people for having a view. Uh, What specific thing have I done? Well, the the only example that she eventually got to uh, was sharing a vaccination code that was already widely available and being promoted on Facebook. People seem to think that somehow that's part of a cultural war. I mean, let's be realistic. Based on what I say and do, I constantly say that New Zealand should return to its enlightenment values of universal human rights, the same as Peter Fraser signed up to in Paris at the UN in 1948, that each person is created equal and has the same basic rights. Um, that is a view that many Maori people hold and some, or perhaps many non maori well, we do not was hold. True. Even supposing that advancing a particular viewpoint is against a race of people, is in itself racist because it presupposes that all people of a race think in a particular way. So I'm getting really sick of this kind of mud and accusation along with many New Zealanders who want to have a debate about how do you make sense of the treaty in a modern democratic society? What is the role of universal human rights versus this interpretation of the treaty as a partnership? Um, And what I find is that every time I challenge people who say these things, what specifically have we said or done Uh, it's always, oh, but somebody else will think or there's a feeling or there's something or other. Um, I I think New Zealand needs a higher standard of debate than that.
2: I do just want to pick up on David's last comment, a higher standard of debate. Like this is what the Greens stand for. And thinking that only coming up with one solid example, it's not the only example, but my point is... You had a long
3: time to come up with it.
2: David, no. David, you know what you're doing when you talk about co-governance and three waters, for example, you could show leadership and say, look, Māori want to improve water quality for everyone. And
3: so do non-Māori,
1: so why are you singling out people? It's a fair chance of response.
2: And so our leadership in these issues is about wanting to make improvements for everybody. And we have a unique role as tamata whenua, just in terms of the standard of debate.
0: This is a question for both of you. We'll do one after the other. Of both your party's policies, what is one, and I'm giving you that's an emphasis on one policy that would make the most difference in New Zealand and to New Zealanders right now? David, I'll start with you.
3: Well, uh, uh, with the the exception that it's not right now, it's it's in New Zealand's long-term future, uh, it's our education policy. Uh, You know, inflation will subside, uh, more houses will be built, uh, you know, crime will come under control, but the question of how many kids go to school each day and whether they're taught valuable academic knowledge, whether every kid in this country um, gets an equal chance at academic excellence. That you know, a kid from a remote part of rural New Zealand will get exposed to the knowledge that maybe they could end up at Oxford or Harvard or something, um, that's really Kiwi. And it's really essential to the success of this country. So at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm proud of what ACT has done with charter schools. Um, and we'll have a lot more to say about education because while it doesn't poll high and while it is not you know, the number one issue in the news every day, or it has been this week, but for different reasons, Um, you you know, I I think that once you start talking about education, I find this at public meetings, one person raises it and the whole room wants to talk about it, Uh, and that is an area where I think in in terms of, you asked about right now, but I'd say over the next 30 years, that's the thing that matters.
0: And Manama, one-party policy?
2: guaranteed income of $385, the Ending Poverty Together policy that we've just put out. It's one policy, it's got a lot of awesomeness in it, and I have heard and know already how much of a difference that would make for people.
1: On that note, and touching on that thing that you talked about, both of you talked about there actually in terms of quality of debate, I want to flip that question on its its head and ask you, the politics equivalent, I suppose, of what's your biggest weakness in a job interview. What, what is your biggest weakness policy-wise, do you think, Madam? Oh,
2: my goodness. We don't think we have a weakness. <laughs> Why on earth would we want to um, be clear? Like We focus on where we want to have solutions. We focus on where we want to have solutions, and there's no weakness in that. We focus on climate change, nature, and inequality. There's no weakness in that. That is important for the economy. It is important for the future well-being of all of us. It is, it is important for um, the way that we relate and connect to each other. Um, I am I'm, I'm just truthfully fail to see where there is weakness in that.
1: David, is there an area of policy that you think that you could be putting more work into at this point in time?
3: Yeah, I think that we put out... Um, too much policy and, and too much detail for, for some contexts. So, you know, we put out 20, 50 page documents sometimes, and that's a challenge not just for us but for the whole democratic world, really, because a lot of these issues take a lot of time to work through. Um, people are busy, and of course, you know, you end up um, having debates that, that really have to boil down to slogans. So we, we find it very challenging uh, to get, you know, detailed policy debates through the the, the eye of the needle in, in modern politics where people say, you know, what's your non negotiable even though they, they know that's not how it works.
1: I think you both just gave us the equivalent answer of, Oh, I just my biggest weakness is I work too I work too hard. I just I can't I can't stop myself. I don't know what we expected there. I thought it would be interesting to reflect on it then.
2: So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Uh, Something to end on now. David, do you have a message for Marama? Is there anything you want to say to Marama Davidson? Yeah,
3: I I think it's time to focus on universal humanity and, and take people at their word. You know, when you say that Um, I know what I'm doing. Um, Well, actually, uh, I think that's what you would like people to think about me. My approach is sincere. I expect to be taken at my word. I believe in people's universal humanity. And I think to judge people by their superficial characteristics first and their universal humanity second is is quite corrosive. And I, I hope that you'll consider that message.
0: Manama, anything to say to David? David, when you talk about
2: universal humanity, I would love for you to take the opportunity to pull through an analysis of power and privilege and oppression, because actually there has not been universal humanity. There are groups, and you well know that power has not been applied universally. You well know that some people have had intergenerational power more than others If there really was universal humanity, I'd be quite happy to go home, go to bed and cuddle my dog. Um, But we are actually striving for universal humanity in a way that recognises that we are not born into a flat hierarchy. We just are not. That some groups have been denied power and some groups have been privileged power. And I look forward to your understanding and expression of that.
3: No, I think that's really fair. And, and that's exactly why we talk about housing and education and, and opportunity, because all, all people should get that equally.
1: Well, it's been lovely having you both on. It's been at times uh, tempestuous. But I really enjoyed hearing both of your viewpoints. It was relatively cordial. So thank you so much, both of you, for, for giving us as much time as you did.
2: Thanks, Emil. Thanks, Imogen. Thank you, David. Kakite.
1: No worries. Thanks, Marama. Now we will be talking to Te Pāti Māori next week so if you enjoyed this episode hop onto your favourite podcast player and give us a follow you'll get that episode delivered right into your phone and if you have any questions or topics of conversation that you'd like us to talk to them about, get in touch, email us newsable at stuff.co.nz But that is the show for today, I'm Emil Donovan
0: and I'm Imogen Wells, you can also follow us on social media to stay up to date on new episodes, behind the scenes content and all things Newsable, find us on Instagram and TikTok, just search Newsable NZ. Have
1: a great day and we'll catch you Monday.